Episode 33 of the Online Chicken School Podcast. Today we're talking about protecting your flock from a neighbor's dog and telling a story about hatching a baby chick in distress. It's time for the Online Chicken School Podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your schooling. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. Doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city. This is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. Well, you may have noticed that we did not podcast last week. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, Don's allergies hit pretty hard, and mine were not too far behind, and neither of us could breathe, so that really makes it difficult to put out a podcast. (laughs) Now, next week is going to be Christmas, so we're actually going to take that week off on purpose. Vacation. Oh, we always uh, usually vacation between Christmas and New Year. We never go anywhere, but uh, it's going to be a staycation, get a lot of stuff done around the farm. But we'll be back the week after Christmas. Well, plus we figure it's a really good time since everybody's going to be too busy with families, holidays, dinners, overeating, (laughs) present wrapping, present unwrapping. You don't have time to listen to a podcast anyway. But when we do come back the week after Christmas, we have what I think is a pretty special treat. Yeah. The next episode, we are going to do our 2014 year in review. We'll talk about all the crazy changes that have happened with our little chicken operation and what we think went right, what we think went wrong, and maybe a little bit about what we're going to do next year. So a little peek behind the curtains of our micro chicken farm. Uh Uh-oh. Wonder what we'll find. Okay, today we don't have one lengthy single topic. Instead, we have a bunch of short topics that are sort of all over the place. (laughs) I guess we could call this show's format more of a scramble. So first, we're going to start off with two stories that we're kind of linking together. Last week in Wisconsin, a shed was being used as a chicken coop, and it caught fire and killed nine chickens. And in Colorado, a coop caught fire and killed eight chickens. That's really sad. It is. I mean, that sort of thing happens more often than we think, I guess. Yeah, especially during this time of year when it's cold and people are adding some form of heat to the coops to keep their chickens warm. It just tends to happen. Right. And that's why we're always saying that if you're going to use a heat source in your coops, oh, please make sure that it is very, very securely connected in a way that can't get knocked down into your bedding. Your shavings catch on fire pretty darn quick. Right. And it's one thing to get it to just hang there, but you need to make sure that if you have any kind of heat source in your coop, you need to make sure that when the chickens are chasing after a bug or just playing their little (laughs) chicken games, if one of them goes flying into the heater... It can't accidentally get knocked down. And this also goes for brooders. I mean, if an outdoor chicken coop catches on fire, unless it's like right up against your house, your house isn't going to catch on fire too. But if you have a brooder like ours in the garage and that catches on fire, you could lose your whole house. Not good times. (laughs) No, especially at Christmas. Yeah, so play it safe out there and go check your heaters in your coops if you need to. That's our public service announcement for the week. Clear the streets. Looks like we got us a showdown. 
Okay, well, up in Saginaw County, Michigan, we got a little neighbor dispute going on. Mark Feinauer has a few backyard chickens, and recently some neighborhood dogs have been going after his flock. So last week, he hears a commotion and looks to see a neighbor's dog is going after his chickens. So he goes and grabs his gun, and he shoots the dog. That really does nothing for neighbor relations right there. It's going to make for a really weird neighborhood Christmas party. <laughs> yeah. I hope his neighbor is not his secret Santa. Uh-oh. You know what kind of gift he's going to get. Now, where Mr. Feinauer lives, a chicken farmer can shoot and kill any animal that is attacking his chicken, which includes pet dogs. But his neighbor is pretty upset, as you would imagine. His dog is now dead. So there's this big battle going on. And of course, you feel bad for the dog owner. But the first question you have to ask yourself is why didn't he have his dog under control in his own yard instead of letting it go hunting for snacks on his neighbor's property? Mm, Yes. And it's not like this is the first time it happened either. It sounds like this dog owner has made a habit of letting his dog roam pretty much on everyone else's yard. We all know those people. Yes. Hopefully you aren't those people. So far, it sounds pretty cut and dry. If the dog owner wanted his dog to be safe, he would have kept it in his own yard and not let it roam the neighborhood. It's just common sense. But here's a little wrinkle in the story. They all live in a residential neighborhood. And there is a county ordinance prohibiting chickens on residential property. So that means the chicken owner was keeping chickens illegally. Dun, dun, dun. So the police are saying you can't really shoot your neighbor's dog to protect your chickens when it's illegal for you to have chickens in the first place. And once you take the chickens out of the equation, it turns into a case of my neighbor's dog came on my property, so I shot it, (laughs) which is pretty much illegal most places you can live. Yes, which is good. So the police are deciding whether or not to charge him with a crime. And regardless of how that turns out, the county's making him get rid of his chickens because he wasn't supposed to have them in the first place. So there are a few lessons in here somewhere. If you keep chickens long enough, there's a good chance that you're going to have to deal with predators at some point. And there may come that day that you're actually there when the predators are going after your chickens. So you're kind of in a position to do something about it. But until that day happens, you really ought to come up with a plan for how you're going to deal with that situation before it happens. Yeah, because if you wait until the situation's happening right in front of you, you could easily react from a place of emotion rather than guided by facts, which is pretty much how I live my life. It's always worked out for you. (laughs) Yeah, never went wrong with that. It's never blown up in your face. (laughs) We've never had to apologize to anybody. (laughs) So some of those pesky little facts you might want to get in touch with are, I don't know, what's legal in your area? That'd be a good place to start. (laughs) Always a great idea. We always advise that in the first place. This guy thought he knew the law, but he didn't really make sure it applied to him specifically. Very few people think to go look up the law until after something bad happens. Mm -hmm. Then you're just hoping you did the right thing and you aren't going to end up in jail. Yeah. And the laws are different everywhere. We've talked about this in past episodes. Here where we live, you can't shoot a dog to protect any livestock unless that dog's been declared a nuisance animal already. And you can't do the declaring. You can't just stand on your porch and say, nuisance. (laughs) Or you, I declare the neighbor's dog's a nuisance. So if the neighbor's dog starts attacking our chickens, really the best thing we can do is try to shoo him away before he kills them and then call the police to file a report. And then if the police declare that dog a nuisance animal, the next time he comes over to attack the chickens, (laughs) then you can legally shoot him 
to protect whatever's left of our flock. Yeah. I think they call that the two strikes Fido rule. <laughs> now, keep in mind, in most places, there will be different rules for different animals. Here, you can't shoot the neighbor's dog unless he's first been declared a nuisance. But if a coyote or a raccoon's attacking the chickens, pretty much take him out immediately. But another predator we have to deal with are hawks. They are everywhere here where we live, but they're all protected. So they can sit right there in front of you, eating your chicken, laughing at you, <laughs> pointing at you, making fun of you to all the other hawks, and there's nothing you can do but try and shoo them away. Yeah, I've never tried to shoo away a hawk. I'm not sure how easy that's going to be. Shoo hawk, shoo. <laughs> do you actually throw a shoe at them? You know, I'll allow it. Okay. To me, that's shooing a hawk. <laughs> Take off your shoe and chuck it at the hawk. So obviously it's important to know what you are legally permitted to do in your area. So make sure you know the rules for each animal. I mean, every rule is different. A fox is different than a hawk that's different than a coyote. So you really need to look up anything you're going to encounter possibly. I can't remember, but there's some animals here that you are allowed to shoot at night by shining a flashlight on them and others you can't. That's just crazy laws. But how are you going to tell which animal it is if you don't shine a flashlight on it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't shoot any of the animals. I leave that up to you if that happens ever. Um, but getting back to the topic here, when something is going after your chicken, you're not going to be standing in the backyard at two in the morning, like Googling. I think that's a coyote. Uh, what can I do to uh, keep it away from my chickens? Am I allowed to shoot it? Am I not? Well, what if you have one of those 4G phones? Maybe you can Google it while you're facing down the coyote. Well, that's pretty fast. They do have pretty fast service. And if you have two people, you know, so like you could be standing there ready and I could be Googling it. But best option is know ahead of time. Well, besides whether something is legal, another thing you want to think about is, is it wise? Let's say you are absolutely allowed by law to shoot a dog that's attacking your chickens where you live. If you live in a very close residential neighborhood and you have houses close to you on all sides, the question becomes, is it wise to chase a dog around with a shotgun and try and shoot oh, it? Oh my gosh. Maybe not. <laughs> in that scenario, you probably have a better chance that you're going to accidentally shoot something or someone you don't intend to in all the chaos of the moment. Yeah, and if that happens, you're going to be in trouble regardless of what the law says. Plus, you may have to live with something you're going to regret for a long time. And you may be saying to yourself, Self? There's no way that could happen to me. I'm totally tactical. <laughs> but you know what? I remember a few years ago, I did a little firearms training with our local sheriff's department. They spend an awful lot of time training you how not to get really narrow-focused in a high stressful situation like that mm -hmm. and how it's easy to just get tunnel vision and you're only focused on your target and you lose all sight of what's around you, what's behind it, all that kind of stuff. They have to spend an awful lot of time teaching that to law enforcement officers. Question is, have you had that training? And if you have, have you had it often enough to train that out of you? Yeah. You may say, yeah, but I've watched all the lethal weapons. <laughs> so, and I've watched them all several times. So I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Not the same. No. And I got to tell you, if I hear a noise in the middle of the night, now we have an alarm system. It's going to go off if any window, any door, anything happens. But I think I hear something in the house in the middle of the night. And I get such tunnel vision just staring at the door to the bedroom, waiting for something to come in. 
and I get super hearing. And I can't imagine though, if something emotional outside was going on right in front of me, my animals are dying. I'm going to have that same response probably, especially if I'm going after that animal with a weapon. Well, you're the reason people are not allowed to have tactical nuclear weapons in their house. <laughs> oh, really? Because if the neighbor's dog is going after our chickens, you probably would just take out the whole neighborhood. That's it. <laughs> well, because at that moment, you're just like caught up in the emotion of something's attacking my little babies. That's right. Here's another thing you want to think about. What animals are you willing to shoot? Okay, so you're allowed to legally and... You know, again, you watch Lethal Weapon a lot. You're pretty confident in your weapon handling skills. But are you willing to shoot some animals and maybe not others? Maybe you don't care about killing a raccoon. You say, hey, it's just a raccoon. But when it's somebody's pet dog, maybe that's a different story for you. Ooh, I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to mentally shoot him or maybe just let him take out a few chickens. You know, you might rationalize that the dog is more valuable than a few chickens. I'm sure the neighbor would think so. <laughs> and the chickens are easier to replace. So I, I don't know. I mean, you could also rationalize that why is one type of pet more valuable than another? I mean, it's, it's I think, a personal choice. Well, I think that's a little bit of a question mark for me, because if I saw a strange dog that I didn't know, and I didn't even know whose it was attacking my chickens, uh, and of course it had been declared a nuisance animal, of course, I don't know how I know it's a nuisance animal if I don't know <laughs> whose dog it is, but uh -huh. let's just go with that fantasy. Mentally, I would have no problem shooting it. Mm -hmm. However, our next door neighbor has two German shepherds, and I really like those dogs. Mm -hmm. I probably would not shoot those two dogs because no. I, I like those two dogs. And, you know, it brings up another point of, like, say you know the dogs, maybe you can chase them off. You know, you they know you, you know them, You could maybe you can chase them off. But what if you don't know that dog? You might be putting yourself in harm's way if you go and confront a German shepherd that's never met you before and you've never met it before. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. He's all hungry for your chickens thinking he's going to get a snack and here you come chasing him away with nothing in your hand. Maybe you're the snack. <laughs> yeah, it could turn on you pretty quick. I think the important thing in all this is that you think about these things ahead of time. You're not going to react perfectly each time, but at least you'll have an idea of what you want to do. And look up the laws, see what your options are, and develop a plan so you're not trying to come up with something out of thin air when you're in the middle of this incredibly stressful situation. No matter how many times you've seen Lethal Weapon. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I want to read you a story I discovered from Billings, Montana. Oh, Montana. You love Montana. At the center of our story is a man and woman who were dating and living together. Then she broke up with them, but they're still living together. Talk about awkward. Mm-hmm. So one day, she gets in the shower, she turns around, and finds a webcam filming her in the shower. Oh, creepy creeper. I don't understand what this has to do with chickens, just kind of a creepy story. I'm going to bring it around. Okay. She calls the police. They show up. Turns out the ex-boyfriend did put the webcam in the shower, but he has a really, really good excuse. Uh-oh. How can you argue with this? He says... I was cleaning some of my chickens in the bathtub and I wanted to keep an eye on them. When was he cleaning the chickens in the bathtub? Not while his girlfriend was in there showering. Well, yeah, but he just, he forgot to take it down. <laughs> he put it up there to watch the chickens in the bath. He just forgot to take it down. I mean, it's a purely innocent, you know, to, to attach any weird motives to this <laughs> is just a witch hunt. All right. I mean, this guy's just doing honest work. Right. 
caring about his chickens, trying to keep an eye on them so they don't get hurt. And everybody's trying to turn it into something weird. <laughs> um, I'll be the first one to turn it into something weird. First of all, why are your chickens in the bath and you're not there with them? Like, are they just in there for a swim and they're going to just hang out there all day? How gross is that? Yeah, I put the chickens in the bath, but I want them to have privacy, you know? <laughs> that would be really weird if I just sat there and watched them take a bath. So I put a webcam in there so I could watch them from the other room. <laughs> are there like a whole lot of wise guys in Montana? <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that where they all go in the witness protection program? Well, I don't know. Did the cops buy his crazy story? Apparently not, because he had to post a $10,000 bond to get out of jail while he awaits for his trial. So I'm going to go with no. Good. And I sure hope the girlfriend moved out by now. Well, I don't know. You just never know with people. Now it's like, you know, I've been thinking about it and it really shows he cared. He really cared about me. Yeah, still think it's creepy. Okay, that reminds me of something. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Okay. I noticed something when I was looking at our podcast stats last week. We have listeners in all 50 states, but naturally some states have more listeners and others have less listeners. They're not all spread out. The five states with the biggest audiences for our show are California, mm. Florida, which makes sense. This is our home state. I hope so. Illinois, which is actually your home state. Yes, it is. Texas. Shout out, shout out to all my Illinois peeps. Texas and New York, which is my home state. Yes. On the other end of that list are states that maybe just have a handful of listeners. And sometimes you can watch and see listenership start to grow in an area because you'll have just a few listeners and then all of a sudden they start telling their friends and whatnot and you start to see them grow. But it's always a gradual growth. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just a few weeks ago, New Jersey was one of those states that was kind of down near the bottom of the list. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of just a few weeks, they have shot up to number seven on our list. Oh, my. I don't know what's going on up there in Jersey, but to all you listeners, hey, how you doing? <laughs> uh, did you ever consider it's the family? What do you mean? Like the family, like they say, um, a really organized family. Oh, you mean like the mafia? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why would you assume that? Well, you keep doing that wise guy accent. Maybe one of them like heard it and they're not too happy about it. <laughs> hmm. Maybe I should try learning some new accents. <laughs> yeah. I, that is my go-to accent. We do not want them to organize in our direction now. Yeah, that is my go-to accent. I love doing that accent. Well, and everybody always says it's funny because people say, "Oh, well, you're from New York, so you like doing that accent for you because you're from New York." Yeah, but I'm from Syracuse, and nobody in Syracuse talks like that. <laughs> so it's not like I grew up around it. It's just you know, fun. TV and movies. Yeah, you do like watching TV and movies. Yeah, my brain has been contaminated. <laughs> it is funny, though. And all these accents are in good jest. So if you're upset about it, calm down. I actually, I love accents. I really like doing accents. I don't know why I always go to that one, but I like doing accents and I never do it to make fun of people. I really, I just enjoy accents. I think it's so cool when somebody has a talk. I love, uh, you know, Canadian accents, Australian accents. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good ones. Well, I know that when we were dating, you knew that embarrassed me when you did accents to people that didn't <laughs> right. know you. So you would do it like all the more because that's just what guys do. And we'd be sitting in a restaurant. He's like, all of a sudden he starts talking in an Australian accent. And I'm like, okay, now you know you have to carry that through the whole dinner because she's going to think you're a jerk if all of a sudden you like dro it drops off. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Got- f- one of my favorites is the German accent, but you have to get really good and worked up to do the German accent. You mm-hmm. have to have a lot of energy for that one. Energy or anger? Either one of those will work. Energy. Okay. Anyway, I got a little off the topic of chickens there. Maybe we should try and work our way back. It's time for the cooking segment, or as I like to call it, what do you do with all them darned eggs? Here's Susie. Now, with it being wintertime, your egg production in your chickens may have slowed down. So you may not have the super abundance of eggs that you did, let's say, in the summer. But I wanted to still throw out a recipe for something that I did recently that I think is really, really, really cool and pretty darn easy. And that is homemade mayonnaise. Yeah, I want to take just a minute here Uh to let that sink in. (laughs) Homemade mayonnaise. Mm -mm. Okay, now for those of you that don't like mayonnaise, just fast forward a little bit because you're really not going to like mayonnaise once you hear this. Although if you don't like mayonnaise, maybe it's because you've never had homemade mayonnaise. That is true. A lot of people say, and we can attest to this now that we've had homemade mayonnaise, what a different taste it is. Well, it's one thing to make your own mayonnaise. That's like an elevation above store-bought mayonnaise. But then there's making mayonnaise with eggs that came from your chickens in your yard. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Top that. (laughs) All you other loser condiments have no chance. (laughs) That's right. Take that ketchup. (laughs) All right, so... I had the idea that I wanted to make my own mayonnaise because I thought it was mostly eggs in the recipe, which I was very wrong. So I was looking online for recipes and everybody has a different recipe for mayonnaise, a different technique to how to do it. I watched countless YouTube videos and finally Don was like, all right, are you just going to stop it already and try and make some? So I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And I got to tell you, the first time I tried it, it worked. So that got me jazzed. And we've had fresh mayonnaise for like the last month, I think. And I've gained 36 pounds. (laughs) My cholesterol is to the roof. (laughs) Sorry about that, but it is delicious. Well, here's the recipe that I've kind of adapted that works for me. You take a cup of oil. And I usually do a split between, I'll do like a half cup vegetable oil, a half cup olive oil. You can do a cup of any kind of oil you want. 10W30. Not that kind of oil. Oh, sorry. 10W40? No. (laughs) So you put the oil in a cylinder. And I'll have to take a picture of what I use because it's kind of hard to explain. A stick blender. Well, yes. You use a stick blender to emulsify it. But you want the cylinder to be not a whole lot wider than your stick blender. So a stick blender with a tight skirt. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. So you take your cup of oil... You put it in your cylinder, you take one egg, yolk and white, stick it in there, you do a pinch of salt. In most recipes, they recommend two teaspoons of lemon juice. But for me, I was totally unprepared. I don't know why, because I'd been researching it for like a week and a half. I only had lime juice. I used the lime juice, it was wonderful. And then you use a tablespoon of Dijon mustard. That is it. You let that all kind of settle and sink into the bottom of your your glass or whatever you're using takes 30 seconds for it to kind of settle down you slowly stick in your blender your hand blender and you turn it on and you keep it planted at the very bottom of your container and you just blend 
And then you'll see after like 10 seconds, it all of a sudden starts to become white and looks like mayonnaise. And then it almost gets all the way to the top of the oil with the mayonnaise look. And then it kind of stops. So you kind of wiggle the blender around a little bit, your stick blender. You kind of pull it up a little bit until the whole thing is mayonnaise. And boom, in less than two minutes, you have homemade mayonnaise to impress your friends and family. I think I can even do that. I think you can. You should really try it. I'll take pictures of you making it. No, that's okay. (laughs) You're the expert now. Okay. Well, we will post the recipe in our show notes at onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 33 if you're interested. Okay. Last thing before we go to the main feature today, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping on Amazon over the next two weeks, consider going to our website first at onlinechickenschool.com and clicking on the Amazon link over there. It's going to take you to the exact same Amazon site that you know and love, and you're going to pay the same price for the things you buy, but Amazon gives us kind of like a little bit of a commission. A kickback. Yes, a kickback uh, for getting to their site from our site, and this would really help us pay for some of the podcasting bills. So if you like the show and you want to help us keep it going, just go to onlinechickenschool.com, click on the Amazon link to make all your Amazon purchases. Some of you have already done that. We really, really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Yes. And it's not just till the end of the year. It's whenever you make an Amazon purchase, January, February, pretty much the whole year. And we know you're on there buying stuff all the time. Who are we kidding? Yeah, because we are. (laughs) Okay. For the main feature today, we're going to share a little story about hatching a baby chick in distress. And the reason we're talking about this is about a week and a half ago, we hatched out a batch of Rhode Island Red and Dot Rock chicks. Right, so let's lay out the situation. We placed about 20 eggs in the incubator. And if you're not familiar with hatching baby chicks, they stay in there for 21 days. But really during the first 18 days, there isn't much for you to do. Right, you check the temperature and humidity every day. And typically you have to add water once or twice during that time. Normally, you would turn the eggs several times a day, but we have an automatic turner to do that for us because we're lazy. Thank God. So there just isn't a lot of work to do. Right. But then on day 18, you stop turning the eggs until they hatch. So we take the turner out of the incubator and let the eggs lay on the kind of floor, mesh floor of the incubator. And at this point, you increase the humidity and just let them be. But this little, I don't know, ritual of sorts puts your mind on notice that pretty soon you're going to have baby chicks hatching. It's only going to be three more days. So you start getting a little excited. And usually about half a day before they hatch, you'll notice that some of the baby chicks have pecked a little hole in the egg. It doesn't so much look like a hole, but more like a little cracked bulge. And we call this a pip. Okay, so when you start seeing pip marks, you get really excited and you know something is alive in there. It worked. And it also begins the most painful waiting game because the hatching process is really, really, really slow. And it can take, I don't know, 24 hours, even more from the time you see that pip until that little baby chick's out of the shell. And anytime you hatch eggs, you just don't know for sure how many will hatch. That's where that expression comes from. Don't count your chickens before the hatch. But when you start seeing the pip marks, you begin to do a little counting in your head. Mm-hmm. And you get an idea of how many should be hatching if everything goes right. Our incubator sits on the dresser in our guest bedroom. <laughs> I guess that's sort of our baby room. Yes, that's the nursery. And at this stage, neither of us can walk by that room without peeking in counting all the pips we see and announcing it to the other. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be in the kitchen or something. Donald will be like, six? 
It's six now. Yeah. And if Susie goes by 10 minutes later, she's going to go in and count mm-hmm. to see if maybe there's seven. There, Because there sometimes is. So after the chick pips the egg, she begins to rotate around and slowly start pecking away at the inside of the egg around in a circle, sort of like a can opener. And it unzips the top of the egg from the bottom. And then when she's done with that, she will push the top open and flop out of the egg. Literally flop out. And so here's the hard part for us. The time between these steps, meaning from when you see that pip and when they pop out of the egg from pip to pop (laughs) is normally many, many hours. Like Susie said, sometimes as much as 24 hours. The process of hatching is very exhausting for the chick. So she'll work for a little bit and then take a rest. And then she'll work for a little bit and she'll take a rest. She'll work for a little bit more. And that's how it goes. So not only does it take hours, but there may be many hours where you see no progress. You know, Mm -hmm. you go and look at the egg and then an hour later you come back and it doesn't look like it's any further along. Mm -hmm. It's a long, long waiting game that can just drive you nuts as you keep asking yourself if things are progressing fast enough. Well, and especially nearer the end because the egg will look like it's cracked enough. So you can see the chick pushing to break free and you think, here she comes. And then she stops and rests. And you can see her little chest heaving. And I mean, it really gives them quite a workout to get out of this egg. So this is where another problem comes in because even at this stage where the chick has pipped the shell and broken parts of it away, and it looks like she is close to getting out. Sometimes they never get any further than this. So they may get this far and then they just aren't able to go any further. They just can't get themselves out of the egg without help. But there's really no way of knowing if she's just resting for a little bit and later she's going to push herself out or if she's in trouble and really can't get herself out. So you probably think to yourself, why not just help her out either way? Well, there's a problem with that. When a chick is hatching, there are a number of things that need to happen in sequence before she pops out. For instance, one of the last things she'll do is suck up whatever is left in the yolk sac so she has enough food for a few days. And up until the very last minute, she's still attached to the egg with a bunch of little blood vessels. And if you start pulling pieces of the shell away before she can seal off those vessels, you could tear them open and she can bleed out. So timing is very critical. And if you act at the wrong time, you can do much more harm than good. Now, there is another reason that they say you should never help a baby chick out of its shell. And people are very strong about that. Never, ever. And the idea here is that a healthy baby chick has everything she needs to get herself out of that shell. So if she's not able to get herself out, it may be because she has a deformity or she's not strong enough. And the idea is that if she's not strong enough to get out of the shell, she's probably not strong enough to survive after hatching. And she may live a few days or maybe even a few months, but at some point, she might not make it. So basically, the conventional wisdom is that you don't ever help a chick get out of the shell. And sadly, out of the many hatchings we've witnessed, there have been four times a chick in one of our clutches pips a hole and starts the process of getting out of the egg and just isn't able to cross the finish line. It is so hard to watch. It's heartbreaking because they'd open up enough of the hole that you could see their little beak going in there and they're breathing and they're even chirping, but they just can't muster the strength to keep going and get that final push out of the shell. 
And like we said before, it takes a while to figure out whether they're in distress and can't go any farther, or are they just resting before they get back to work at it? Now, I'm not going to go into the gory details, but we have tried not intervening at all, and that resulted in the chick dying in the shell. And we've also tried giving the chick plenty of time to get out, waiting for all the other chicks to hatch, and then waiting a little while longer, and then trying to help them out, figuring hopefully it's about time and everything's ready for them to come out. And by doing this, we've ended up saving the bird and successfully getting him out of the shell, but then realizing that they had some deformity that prevented us from being able to sustain them. And those were the worst outcomes because you thought you'd save the chick, but then ended up having to euthanize it, which really was not a pleasant thing to do. Okay, so jumping forward to this last batch of chicks, there was this one Rhode Island Red who pipped and then started to crack away at the rest of the egg. She had almost gotten the top off, and then the egg just cracked in a really weird way that I've never seen before. There was this big piece that that just sort of fell away from the egg and left one of her feet exposed. Right, well, the problem with that is whenever she tried to push her way out, one of her feet didn't have anything to push on. I mean, she couldn't push against anything to force her way out. So now you're left with the same dilemma of trying to decide if you should do something to help. And if you help, when should you help? And as always, you can see her little beak through the hole and she's chirping like crazy and not happy chirps either. No, very stressful. Which just adds to the drama and stress of the situation. Right. You really just want to get in there and help her. Yeah. All the other chicks had hatched already. And Susie said, I can't just sit here and listen to that one calling out. I think we need to do something. And it was in the evening. So I said, let's just give it till morning and see if she's made any progress. So, of course, I'm up at the crack of dawn that morning and we checked on her and she hadn't gotten any further along. So we pulled the egg out of the incubator and I stood there with a flashlight while Don kept slowly pulling off little pieces of the shell and one tiny piece at a time and very slowly to try and make sure there weren't any blood vessels that we would break. And I really just wanted to pull off enough of the cap so that she could sort of finish the job and come out when she's ready. So I wasn't trying to pull the whole egg apart. So I pulled most of the cap off and then set her back in the incubator and then almost immediately she popped herself out of the shell and flopped out on the floor of the incubator, which was kind of a relief. (laughs) It was pretty tense up to that point. You're just hoping you're not going to hurt her, but realizing she doesn't have a chance if she stays in there. So when she finally popped out, I was really relieved. Unfortunately, that relief only lasted for about a minute (laughs) because then I noticed that something was wrong with one of her feet. Mm -hmm. And this is where we've had a problem before. Usually when we've experienced the chicks that we tried to get out, the deformity was in their feet. Their feet just were mangled up and never developed right. Mm -hmm. And I thought, here we go again. The foot that had been hanging out of the shell was fine. All the toes were flexed outward so she could stand on it. But the other foot was all curled together and she wasn't extending any of her toes. So I waited just a little bit and nothing changed. So then I picked her up and started to massage her one foot. And I'm not even totally sure what I was trying to do there. (laughs) In my head, I was thinking, okay, well, if my foot was kind of 
stuck in that weird position for too long, it would probably fall asleep. So I kept thinking, maybe her foot's asleep. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I'll just massage it and get the blood going again. And uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but <laughs> I was just trying to get it to work. I didn't even really have a plan. Well, after a while, nothing had changed. So we moved all the other chicks to the brooder and left her in the incubator by herself and just hoped that it would straighten itself out. And after a while, we came back and checked on her and she was standing on both feet. And after a while, she actually began to stumble around. And it really didn't inspire confidence. She kind of, (laughs) she looked a little inebriated. Yeah, that's to say the least. But she was standing on it and her foot actually looked pretty normal. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge relief. Yes. Now, the next thing we were concerned about was her size. You know, all the other chicks had hatched a full day, some of them a day and a half before her. And so then when it was time to take her out of the incubator and move her to the brooder with all the other baby chicks, there was a huge size difference. She looked like a little tiny runt. Well, it's amazing how fast they grow in just the first few days. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, we need to keep an eye on her for a little bit here. Make sure she doesn't get squashed by all the other ones. But Mm -hmm. by that point, she was getting pretty nimble on her feet. Yeah. And really the only difference now was the size difference. So we had someone coming that day that was going to buy all the Rhode Island Reds. And when I talked to them on the phone, I didn't even count her as one of the Reds we had for sale. Right. Because we're like, you know, she's she's definitely small compared to the other ones. Mm-hmm. And with the whole situation, we don't know if that was the only thing wrong with her. I mean, there, there could be other things wrong and we just don't know. So we should probably hang on to her for just a few days mm-hmm. and see what happens with her. Well, and we had two male Dot Rock hybrid chicks that were still there because- Really, no one wants a male hybrid. So, you know, she was in with those two big brothers and they were just kind of hanging out. And it was funny because every once in a while when I go out there, one of the Dot Rocks chicks would be standing straight up and she would be resting her head on its back. It was the funny, I'd never seen that in one of our chicks before. And then, you know, you'd walk outside and a couple seconds later, they start flipping out because they're like, oh, people are here. And then I go inside, come out again, and she'd be doing it again. It was just the cutest thing. Well, I think she was hamming it up because she kept giving me a different look. Every time I would go (laughs) out there, she would be standing between the two dot rocks, and they would both be together, and they're twice her size, Mm -hmm. and they're both solid black, and then she would poke her little red face like right between their two chests (laughs) sticking out, and it was really adorable, but every time I go get the camera, I'd come back and she'd be doing something different, but... I know. It's really hard to, to catch these moments on camera. Well, she made it through the first week and she was growing. Now, she had not caught up with the dot rocks that had hatched the day and a half before her, but she was growing and she was eating and she was drinking and she seemed like any other chick that we've ever hatched before. So I was thinking, you know what, I'll just hang on to her. Mm hmm. And we'll just raise her up and see what happens, because if she's fine and she's healthy, then, you know, you can always use another layer Mm -hmm. in the flock. And of course, if she turns out to be a rooster, well, now (laughs) we know how to take care of that, too. Right. Absolutely. But we know how to solve that problem. Well, and no sooner had Don decided, well, we'll just keep her, that the family that came to buy her brothers and sisters the week before gave a call and said that, unfortunately, one of their chicks um, had gotten sick and we don't even know what happened. It was just kind of a bizarre set of symptoms and died. And the other ones were doing fine. And so after talking to him for a little bit, 
I offered her up to them and I said, remember when you were here, we had that little one that had hatched a little bit later and they remembered her because they kind of liked her. She was so small compared to the other ones. You just kind of felt sorry for her. She's like a runt in a litter of puppies, you know, they're always the cutest. And uh, I says, you know, we still have that one available. She seems to be doing fine. You are more than welcome to take her. Um, you know, told them the whole situation, what happened with her. And they came and got her. So she is now in a happy home with her brothers and sisters and appears to be doing very, very well. Okay, so is there a moral in here anywhere? I have no idea. Maybe there's a lesson <laughs> in all this story, hopefully. And for me, it's somewhere in this neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of rules to chicken keeping. And they're there for good reason. You know, after you've managed to keep chickens alive for three or four weeks, you kind of start to think, hey, I really know all about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I'm smarter than all the people who've been raising chickens for thousands of years before this point in time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those little rules were usually developed for a reason. And there's wisdom to them. However, there are times that you have to sort of analyze the situation and say, does the conventional wisdom apply here? Mm -hmm. You know, in this case, when we looked at the chick, it wasn't the normal case of just, she's not getting out. We could look and say, well, there's a reason she can't get out. She has nothing to put her foot on. You know, right. her foot's hanging out of the egg. That's not normal. So, you know, we kind of decided maybe the conventional wisdom doesn't apply here. This situation is not in the book. And thankfully we were right. <laughs> yeah. So if you do take on the responsibility of raising chickens and you're a chicken keeper, it really is important to learn the conventional wisdom of chicken keeping. But as things come up, you need to look at the situation and ask yourself, does the conventional wisdom apply in this situation? And if it doesn't, what can I do? In other words, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> A little conventional wisdom from Kenny Rogers. There you go. And Kenny Rogers knows chicken. Mm-hmm. Yes. Unfortunately, no longer around here. Do they have those anywhere anymore, the roasters? Oh, Kenny Rogers roasters. Now my mouth is watering and I'm really hungry for dinner. Those are the best places. We need to have internet access available while we're recording this. So we can look <laughs> these things up. I'll tell you, if any of you have a Kenny Rogers roasters out there, just to get off the topic completely, if you haven't been there, it's delicious. Okay, so as a reminder, we're not going to be here next week, so we'll wish you a Merry Christmas and not quite a Happy New Year yet, because remember, we will be back just before the end of the year with our 2014 Micro Chicken Hatchery Year in Review by Don and Susie. And as always, if you want to see the show notes for this episode and get that fantastic mayonnaise recipe, go to onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 33. That's all for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com. <laughs>